So I really think that one of the things that all public schools should teach is Kendrick Lamar's Damn, right? Like as an album. What? I think like, oh my God, are you kidding? It's Pulitzer winning. It's like, it's current. It's... Uh, hello, my wonderful folk queens and folk kings. My name is Jonathan Garano, and welcome to another episode of Spill the Five. If you're watching the video podcast, I did a weird, strange thing where I moved my hands like I was doing a dancing motion because I don't know. There's got to be some swag when it comes to the Spill the Five. Basically, it's a podcast where this is a podcast where I bring on creative individuals and we just talk, we chit chat for a second, and we just spill everything. And this guest, the guest today is impeccable okay so i this is the first time in my entire life that we've ever actually talked it was this podcast okay and there's a motorcycle outside and making a lot of noise and i don't know why anyway and i was on tiktok and there was this viral you know story on this app on tiktok about how this individual this girl was able to you know become a novelist at the age of 15. that's right the guest today is that individual, that author. Her name is Amy Zhang. That's right, A-M-Y-Z-H-A-N-G, amyzhangbooks.com. You can check her out. Um, she wrote uh, a book called Falling Into Place, another book where um, this is where the world ends. And I don't know, for some freaking reason, when I was on TikTok and I saw her story, very amazing uh, TikTok, by the way, I, I don't know. I was just enamored. And then I don't know. I was just propelled to be like, yo, I'm going to DM this individual, tell her how wonderful she is. Tell her how, when I watched that TikTok, um, she in a way inspired me. Like I was, I was, you know, a caterpillar and I wanted to somehow transform myself into a cocoon. And then from there, break into a beautiful wonderful butterfly and that's what she wanted me to do with this dm and i sent her the dm and being bada boom we scheduled the time to do a podcast and uh this is the podcast now a couple things i kind of messed up in the beginning of the podcast because it's zoom i forgot to press the record button okay so uh, we're jumping into the podcast episode. We're about like three min three minutes into it. Basically, in the very beginning, I compliment her. I tell her how uh, she is, um, how she you know is motivating. How I'm transfixed by you know her work, and I kind of explain for her to you know tell me all about how uh, she got into the whole business about TikTok, and then. Right in the middle of her story, I was like, "Oops, I forgot to record." But I didn't say anything, and I just pressed record because I didn't want to. I didn't want to ruin the vibe, y'all. So I'm excited. We're gonna get started, and don't forget, if you can, we've been working really hard. You could always check out spillthefud.com and spillthefud everywhere on social media. Don't forget to review on the Apple Podcast uh, site. Uh, my Instagram is Duga Jonathan, and with that said, get ready for ah uh, the fantastic. And majestic Amy Zhang. Oh, I also want to. I also want to state that. Yeah, just, yeah. Go, go, just go. And then my little sister texted me, and she was like, "You have to make a TikTok about like your book. It's gonna like go viral." And I was like, "I was like, okay, I can, I can probably do that." Um, <clears throat> and TikTok's so funny. It's just like 
like once right? the algorithm picks it up it's like as long as you're not doing like, dancing videos you're okay <laughs> yeah um yeah so so i played around on it for a bit um <clears throat> i guess the first one i made was actually about like my how long i had missed my deadline by so i had like sold my first two books and then um my third one is like four was like four years late i like i turned it in so it's like in now but it, it was like four years past due so i made like a tiktok about it because i was right. so stressed um because i was like in breach of contract you know so like they wait breach of contract how so I had like missed my deadline by such a wide margin and they're allowed to ask for like the money back, you know, which like obviously which you already probably spent. already spent. So. Oh, wait, hold on. Let's break this down for a second. Okay. So wait, I'm good. So you're an author, obviously, and you wrote all these like amazing books, but we're in a situation where you're 18 years old and you have to put something together and then after you send it out and then suddenly a publisher just gives you money. Yeah, so I um so I was actually I was 15 when Falling Into Place sold. Um I had written it I'd written it that year and then um I was already with my agent. So I was with my literary agent for another book and you can't like approach editors without an agent. So oh, wow. um, I had sent her um I had signed with her on a different book and then I'd sent her Falling Into Place and we sold that one like super quickly and then and then I sold another two books to my same publisher. Um, and it took a while. It took like, I guess I was like, I, I must have been like towards the later side of 15 or 16 when it sold. And then it came out when I was 18. I remember because I'd, I'd come to New York like to do like publicity stuff like the right. weekend of high school graduation. So I like came for the weekend then I flew home and like graduated and it was like it was like the most stressful weekend of my life. Wait, where are you from, by the way? Well, so I grew up I grew up like around the Midwest. I grew up in mostly St. Louis. And then when I was in high school, I moved to Wisconsin, which is like when I started writing because it was like it was such a big culture shock for me. Like it was were you just like bored like, at home and you were typing away? I was like bored. I um like the culture shock was really a lot for me. I had never like I had grown up in suburbia, so like okay. it wasn't but but I hadn't grown up somewhere where like there really was just like a group of people who had known each other since like preschool and like like literally uh, all of them were white. Like I had never yeah. had an experience like that before. So um so it was it was like it was a big transition for me and um and it was I like, how does writing. this Asian woman try to figure this out? <laughs> Wait, I have yeah. a question. Okay, so I mean, I don't. I'm gonna cut you off from time to time because I just want to figure <laughs> no, this please. out. Okay, so how the fuck, Amy, does someone get an agent before you even begin to start sending your stuff to editors? Or do you already have like a written, like manuscript or book, and then you start emailing a bunch of publishers, and you're like, hey, I'm an Asian American woman. Um, I wrote a book. I'm marketable get me yeah so how it works is that especially in fiction you you have to go to the agents first like editors won't read um like unsolicited submissions you know like they would be just like flooded all the time and age like agents really are also flooded all the time with just like like hundreds and hundreds of submissions from writers um so especially in fiction you have to start with your full manuscript and you just send it in and if they like it they'll like you send in like your first couple chapters and then if they like it, they'll ask for more. 
And how did you um, find your agent? I just emailed a bunch of people. It was like, like I, it seems like it's it's. I've tried to make like TikTok videos about it, but like it was what was this? It, it was like um, 2011, I guess. Like mm-hmm. it was it was like at this point in internet where like emailing people was like really exciting to me. <laughs> like it's it was sweet. like a fun thing to do, you know. Um, so I. Yeah, I just, like, sent out a bunch of emails. It was, like, at this point where publishing had just stopped taking, like, for the most part, stopped requiring, like, literal mail. So um, it was really easy. It was, like, completely free. You know, it's just, like, sending emails. So, like, I didn't have to, like, print anything or, like, paper postage. Um, So it felt really, like, like, democratized and, like, easy to do. Um, Not, like, easy to do. It took me a long time to, like figure out how to do it but right you went linkedin or different publishing companies and then finding agents and say hey listen to my manuscript watch listen listen watch my ma- <laughs> read my manuscript over and over and over again were you super excited when you finally got that agent you're like fuck yes my name is amy zhang and i am the shit now it's time to go and editors <laughs> or did you do you already like did you already finish the book by the time an agent got back to you and said can i read more um so this was a different book this was a book that i didn't end up selling um and oh, i had yeah, yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't the same book. Um, <clears throat> so I'd written that one. And then while it was out on submission, I wrote Falling Into Place. Um, and I actually did it for National Novel Writing Month. So I, I wrote it like in a month and then I, I had like worked on it for a bit. And then and then I sent it to my agent and like it it I think I think it really like spoke to both of like writing that book. I always say this, like, it was, like, an experience that I've never had before since, like, it was this, like, um, I've never written anything like that. I've never had that experience writing afterwards, but it really, like, felt like it spilled out, and then, and then everything happened very, like, rapidly after that, so. You know, speaking about, like, spilling it out as a, like, a creative, do you ever, do you ever just sit there and sometimes you, you wish that you could have those moments again? where everything just flows with inside of like your soul and body and then gets out there? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, like I still have that, I still have that feeling, you know, like obviously like I still really like writing. Um, I think, I think that one was special. Yeah. I don't, I don't know like how that happened. Like I've never written another like novel in a month, you know, like to begin with, like, um, I really struggled to meet like word count these days, but I think I was writing at a time where like my ego hadn't like been checked ever, right. <laughs> you know. So like I felt so confident writing um, in this way that's like been hard to like find again. Um, but it really because I mean it was because I was like fifteen and like like I literally like hadn't nobody had checked my ego, you know, like I thought like it was easy to write because like I was so sure that I was doing something like groundbreaking. Um, There's like no pressure whatsoever for you to be successful again. I mean, at that moment, but then now there's that, that pressure of, Hey, she's done it. We're going to give her money because she's, she's doing it. And then now you have sort of, do you think like, yeah, sort of, like oh. limiting beliefs in a way? Can you hear me? Um, I think it's a lot of things. I think like, yes. Are we good? Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, I think it's a lot of things. It's like I went I went to college, um, which is like a thing that checks your ego, you know what I mean? Like that, like learning about like like people who 
um, like write in this more serious, more academic way. And, and also, you know, I had never written for anyone, like I'd never had readers, um, Ah. which really psyched me out, you know, after, after falling into place came out, it wasn't, I don't know. I was, I was so private about my writing. Like I never told anyone I was like into writing. Like I, even after I had an agent or even after I like sold my book, I really, I didn't really tell people about it. Like it felt like something that was like, so, so like deeply personal to me. Um, And then all of a sudden it was like, you know, out in the world. And like, (laughs) there was no, like, I had to like disconnect from that reality. But I think, yeah, I think that's like something that, you know, hinders, it definitely hindered my creative process. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you think, (laughs) I mean, I, I get that. I mean, sometimes when I look back at kind of like my creative, like background, trying to place in like future projects one of the biggest things why I think I procrastinate and I don't know maybe this can sound true to you is because I'm always thinking to myself is this going to be better than the last one yeah and what will people think of me like you have these fans sort of like fans for that one little viral maybe you get like a dm from instagram or an email like thank you so much you know this book or this video changed my life do you ever sit there and like yeah but I wrote this so many years ago. What am I doing now? Yeah, definitely. I feel that I feel that a lot. Um obviously I went like 4 years, you know, without publishing anything. Um especially like publishing things that I was proud of. Like I feel really self-conscious these days that like the my public like portfolio, like the things that represent me as a writer are like like a couple years old now, you know, like I feel like yeah. I've grown up as a writer. So I'm excited for like this next book to come out and um, and uh, to be working on on the book that I'm working on now. Um, what's, this, what's this one about? So the one that I just finished up is about um, a girl who takes a year off college, but doesn't like tell her mom. She just like she defers a year and then she just like chills and like gets into things and like um it's, is she Asian? She is Asian, actually. She's um, oh, it's, it's it's very it's actually very um, autobiographical, and I think okay. um, I think falling into place was really autobiographical, which is also why it came out so easily. But um, uh, yeah, I think like this one's a lot about like miscommunication. It's about like language. <laughs> um, it it felt really good to write because it was it was about the things that I had been thinking about for the last like couple years instead of the things that felt like were things that I was thinking about when I was 15, you know, which is like almost nine years ago for me. If we were to take both of those places, right? So if you were able to, because the last couple of years, a lot of things have changed. I guess the first question then is, what is that thing that you would tell your kind of like 15-year-old self before they start transitioning transitioning before they start aging closer and closer to to what you are today yeah I don't know I would tell myself to like chill a bit you know (laughs) I think um yeah I don't know I guess like my my memory of that time is so like fuzzy now it's like it's it's been like coded so many (laughs) different ways in my brain but like um I felt such a like massive anxiety when I was 15 um 
like I'm I I'm still like an anxious person, but like I felt right, of such course. like a like a I don't know I don't I don't even know how to talk about it, I feel like, but it was just like I felt so I felt things so intensely, you know what I mean? And like I'm like obviously that was just like part of being 15, but like part of being that teenager where every single yeah. thing seems bigger than it is. Yeah, 100%, like where your like chemicals in your brain are are really out of whack, you know, because of like hormones and things. But like uh, yeah, I would I would tell myself to chill and like and I I would tell myself to take a year off college, which I think I I had thought about a lot and then I wrote this book obviously about a girl who defers a year um so did you really yeah. end up taking a year <laughs> off of college or no no I didn't I wish I, oh, I wish so I could the, tell myself to do it yeah oh so the book is kind of like I this is what I wish actually happened <laughs> so wait what are yeah, the you bit. said for the past couple of years a lot of things have changed what's that one important thing that has really made you think okay Amy this is who I I am right now and I'm kind of a little bit happier in where I'm going right now. Um yeah, huh. I guess I feel feel very like I feel a lot safer like being like in myself, if that makes sense. Like I No, I explain don't that feel, to me. What do you mean by that? I, I feel like a lot more like just like comfort in my own body, which I think is like a, a thing that like especially affects like teenage girls I think where you have this like feeling of like disconnect between how you feel inside and how you express yourself and how that like presents itself to the world like often there's like a like a bit of a chasm there so I I feel like that was something that I struggled with when I was 15 where I didn't feel like I didn't know what it meant to be like authentic you know what I mean like I couldn't like like people would like that was such a like a like a key word you know but like it didn't it didn't feel meaningful to me for a long time um so i i don't feel so susceptible to that as i've grown older and like into my like frontal cortex um that's still very hard though you know like even in my even past through the 25 plus I would still look in the mirror and I would say to myself, Jonathan, you know, you are beautiful. <laughs> like everything's going to be okay. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like in our society, everyone's always like, be authentic, be genuine. And then when you are kind of like acting like yourself, they go, don't do that. Why are you <laughs> acting so weird? And I don't know. I think that's like one of the, the, the still the toughest things that I'm kind of like dealing with right now is how does one become authentic and i don't really know what the answer to that is like yeah how... but sorry keep going no no go ahead no i was just i was just gonna say like definitely that's like something that i i think about all the time still but i feel like more of like a like a confidence that like um there's like there's this like there's this like dip when you're like 15 where it's like not cool to like like things you know what I mean and yeah. like like once you're in college like that really goes away like it's like it's like it's like cool again to be like passionate about things you know and to like and to like speak your mind and and all of those things that I felt like such an inability to do when I was 15 I don't I think I like grew out of that you know like a little bit um because also you're like in Wisconsin, you said, and you have that little core little group. And so if you do speak your mind, 
and people don't understand just like what group do I attend now yeah in high school it's really easy to like be the trope that people think you you know what I mean like especially like my grade was like 90 people you know so like it was like everybody had their little superlative that like you couldn't really shake off you know and I I didn't know how to like First of all, I'd never been to a school where there were like 90 people in a grade. So like that was yes. already like a Like lot you're Jared, me. you're Derek. Oh, hi, Derek again. Hey, Caleb. Yeah, there were like, know. oh my goodness, what what was it? It was like, there were like four different Eli S's in my grade. <laughs> like, was, like four mats. Like it was just like, it was such a hey, different. Hey, Chris, hi. <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was a very different, different environment for me. But that's why I think college is so important because when you go to college, you kind of find sometimes your group, but in a globalized sense because everyone's coming from different walks of life. And so even though you guys share the same passions, what's really great is because of the different backgrounds and ethnicities and cultures that they have, it's within that same passion that you're able to like grow your horizons when it comes to different topics and different you know ways of thinking and when it comes to remote learning like that's a that's like something that i'm thinking that we're missing i like my brother who is um was a principal at a school and now he like manages schools he's saying that remote learning is actually what's it going to do like remote work and remote learning and online learning is it actually makes people more separated from each other because yes you're doing school and you're doing class and you're in little zoom meetings but you turn off your little laptop and guess where you are? You are in your own little bubble again. Yeah. Um, and that's like something that I've been like thinking about. I mean, do you think right now the world is more separated than, than what it was maybe last year? Oh yeah, definitely. I, um, I felt so lonely this year. Um, and I, I don't know. I had such a like rough year. Like there were so many days, like, like, I don't even know what month, like March, April, May, you know, like those first couple months of quarantine where I was like, this is like, I can't do this again. Like, I can't go to bed and then wake up and like still be in this room. Um, and I was like, I was, I really was so lonely. Like, I didn't, I wasn't into like the sudden rise of like Zoom and everything. Like, I was like, I don't want to FaceTime my friends. I want, I want us to like go like eat dinner, you know, like. Right. I want to physically you know, touch them in some sort of way. Yeah, like I want to sit next to them. I want to like feel like that's something that's like really important to me. I think like I I take a lot of my energy from other people. So it was it was really like it was a hard year, I think. Um, But starting in the summer, I feel like when we started seeing each other again, it was like I felt so grateful. Like personally, I was like, this is like I can't believe I ever took this for granted. Like, um. And at the same time, I was really grateful to to have to be lonely, which is something that like forces me to write more than like like being socially active does. Ooh, what do you mean by that? Like being lonely, being able to appreciate the loneliness of of Amy. What yeah, I think I need to like I think I think especially when I'm sitting down to do a novel, which is such a like intense long experience like I need um I need a certain degree of like separation from the world you know like I have to like it I don't know how to explain it I used to like I I used to write um 
like in my closet or like in the bathtub with like all the lights turned out like I need like this like I don't know I need to like what like, yeah I know I did like crazy. explain explain so wait explain the atmosphere so are people like screaming outside or you're alone in your apartment or your I house need to, like, totally disconnect from like reality because I have to write about like this like like mental reality you know it's like it's like it's so difficult for me to like build this world where they're where where this where these characters are interacting in this way where I can see what they're gonna do next that it's so much more helpful for me to just be like alone for a week at a time. Um, oh, wow. and when I and when I go out and like when I like talk to my friends and like catch up on gossip, it it takes me out of it and it it takes me another second to like find my way back to it. so. So it was actually really helpful for me. Like, I finally finished my book, so. I mean, hey, thank God for the pandemic, because without the pandemic, yeah, I probably wouldn't have finished it the way that it was. Would you write on a typewriter inside your little uh, bathroom, or the internet's off and you have a little laptop and you just go? No, I it? definitely, I keep my internet on. I write on Google Docs now, because I've, like, lo- I have I don't save ever. Like, I never got into, like, a habit of, like, just, like, control S all the time. So I actually run on Docs now, because it, it saves for you. Wait, are you an ENFJ? On what? What's your Myers Briggs? Do you know? Oh yeah, I do. I'm um uh ENFP? I I'm Marilyn Monroe's whatever that one the entertainer personality. Yeah, let's um, let's let's Google that. I, I said that you are like yes, an ENFJ. Marilyn Monroe's uh Myers Briggs. Let's see if I'm right. Let's see if I'm right. <laughs> Oh, ESFP. Oh, shit. You're the entertainer. If anyone is to be found spontaneously yeah, breaking into a song and dance. Yeah, is that you? It is. Entertainers get caught up yeah, in the excitement I mean, of the like, moment and want everyone else to feel that way, too. No other personality type is as generous with their time and energy as entertainers when it comes to encouraging others. I oh, love, like, you're and, like, so nice, that supposedly. <laughs> I think so that like I think that's like why it's hard for me to um to write when I'm doing that you know like it's so I have like such a like a I don't know I'm like very happy to like go with the flow and like keep the night going and then just right. like bed for two days and like not not be able to look at a computer screen you know so like it's um yeah it's hard for me to say no to things when like all the <laughs> when all the restaurants and bars and stuff are open so i was i was grateful to be forced to stay inside you're like the ultimate empath the one thing that i i mean talking about like facetime and everything one of the biggest things that i that's i don't know about you but that's facetime i think is very 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 exhausting because i think like even now even now having this conversation with you over zoom Mm-hmm. Okay, we're slowly getting into kind of like a, a rhythm and a flow because the very beginning I was like, where the fuck do I go with this? This is Amy <laughs> Zhang. She's the fucking shit. She's got glasses. Oh my God. I DM'd her. Oh my God. She's here. Fuck yeah. The author of my choice, Asian American woman, hip hip. But I didn't know how to like start off because I feel as if Zoom in a way is so performative. I feel like FaceTime yeah, is so performative. In fact, I feel, I don't know if you journal, but I, I've been thinking about the concept of performance. And I think even journaling is performative. Oh, because, 100%. Yeah, I agree with that. 
Like, do you ever, yeah, exactly. Like you're sitting down and you're writing. You're like, if I read this letter, am I going to feel, am I going to laugh? You know, yeah, am I writing? When I, was little, I, when I was little, I could never journal. I started journaling in college because before that I was so self-conscious of like my future self. I was like, I'm going to read this someday and be like, what an idiot. Like, I can't, I can't write it down. <laughs> but now, but now you want to, because imagine mm-hmm. if you wrote yourself like at 17 years old and then you read back, it's like, wow, this is what I used to think. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, Jonathan, I loved you at 17. <laughs> do you ever do this? Do you ever Have you ever heard of futureme.org? No. Okay, so this is what I do at the end of every year. Okay. I write a letter to myself, and then you schedule it for a year later. Or oh, color, I love however, that. Right? Yeah. And <laughs> what I used to do in my like teenage years, I used to write, like, hopefully you finished your goals, and these are the goals. But then as I progressed through my 20s, I began, I be, I'm beginning to write like, hey, Jonathan, I want to let you know that I love you. Everything's going to be okay. Like no matter where you are in your life, hopefully your soul and your spirit feels great. And I read it and I'm like, Jonathan, <laughs> motherfucker. Like even now, just thinking about it, I'm thinking about myself, how much I'm crying. Um, but yeah, it's. Do you do do you do affirmations or what like what type of journaling do you do to get kind of because you said over the past couple of years you've been getting over anxiety so I figure there's like certain some sort of like exercises or things that you do that kind of help you get over that and get you to a good solid space yeah I don't um i'm I'm thinking well so I do journal i I've actually done it less during the pandemic just because I was like writing fiction so much more during yeah. the pandemic um i do this <laughs> i used to keep this like this sounds kind of psycho but i i still i have this ongoing journal um where i write like i write a, a dialogue between myself like i write like my current self and then i write like like amy this sounds literally psycho no write, it's like, not it sounds amy like an interlocutor is what it sounds like <laughs> Um, I write it under like Amy in perpetuity, like the like the constant <laughs> combination of like right. of, like all of the selves that I've been or will be, um, and yeah, I don't know. It's I don't read it ever. I like write in it once every couple months when I feel in the mood. <laughs> but see, that's the thing. That's else? the thing with journals. I don't think we ever go back to it. I just think that hopefully when I die, maybe my kids or some random person will read it and be entertained. And maybe that's why it's it's performative. I really like that, by the way, that you write. I'm going to try that when I write my ne- when I write my next journal post. Jonathan yeah. Perpetuity. Yeah, it's nice to like be able to imagine this like future self that has like all of this like wisdom that I don't have yet. But like, um, yeah. Because we're so good at giving other people advice. Imagine giving ourselves advice from the future. Yeah, right? Like I would... <laughs> That's phenomenal. Oh my god. I got to I got to It's like a, it's like a comfort exercise almost. Yeah. I think writing, by the way, I think writing is one of the best things that anyone can ever do with their life. And I don't know about you, but do you think we're losing that? I mean, I know that's such a like a cliché question, but Looking for, well, first off, I'm a marketer, right? So I'm looking uh-huh. at data. And yeah. one of the biggest people when it comes to genders that actually purchase books is 70% women. 
especially mm-hmm. when it comes to young adult novels, especially when it comes to fiction. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to be rich, as they say, as an author, then either write nonfiction self-help books or write for young adult women. And is that kind of the place that you're always thinking when you're writing or are you writing just, you know, for yourself in hopes that maybe someone will understand it? Yeah. Okay. So um, I want to answer how I feel about writing, but um, there's this really Ken Liu's letter that he put in the beginning of his newest uh, short fiction collection um, answers that like better than I ever could, where he's talking about like, like sometimes you sit down to write with like a goal, whether that's like to sell a book and be rich or like to convey some kind of meaning. Um, and it never, it never works, you know, <laughs> like that's not, that's not enough to, to power you through a novel. Um, and I think that when you're writing for yourself, it, it translates better than when you're trying to like translate your thoughts so that they're like universally understood. Um, but he, he, I don't know. He says it much more eloquently. <laughs> no, what's it called? Ken Liu, what? It's Ken Liu's newest book. It's called The Hidden Girl and Other Stories. Um, okay. It's phenomenal. I'm going to definitely, um, everything, after I everything he writes is phenomenal. <laughs> um, yeah, but as, as for the writing, um, whether I'm afraid it's dying off. Have you heard anything about GPT-3 or read anything about this? No, GPT-3? Oh my god, it's been consuming okay, So it's the, newest, it's the newest thing in AI. It's the it's the biggest like neural network that they've done. It's like the biggest like thing they've done. What the fuck? Computer. Okay, what is this? What's it called? GGPPA? Um, GPT-3. It's, uh, they released, okay. there's a great New York article um, from last year about GPT-2, which was the last model that they released. And this is GPT-3 and it has like... Um, the first one, I, I want to say it had 1.7 billion parameters or something like that. And this one has like 175 billion parameters. And it's a language model. And it's producing like phenomenal writing because that's that's what it is. You know, it's like a neural network for language. Um, right. So I've been thinking a lot about how our writing landscape is on this like precipice of change. Um, it is. And I I feel really excited about it. I think um, I think there there's probably some cause for worry um, in terms of things like like uh, like the truth is a lot more things are going to be bought written um, pretty soon. I think <laughs> like yes. Netflix shows and um, James Patterson books and things like that. But I don't know. I'm really excited. I can't wait for like this wait, to, to get my hands on this. <laughs> Okay, before we get to that, this 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 parameters of 1.7 million, <laughs> you talked about like phenomenal writing and then also writing that is not really sometimes you're writing for yourself. That's just like you're writing for yourself in regards to, hey, if it's understood, it's understood. Mm-hmm. But as, as an author, right, as an artist, you want in a way to make money, right? So do you think if your book isn't, like if no one can understand it or want it, does that make you a true author? Or does that make you an author that's just not successful? Because I've been having like a big debate with a lot of people. And the debate is like, is it art if someone doesn't understand what you're making? Because isn't art about taking this complicated, confusing, 
idea and somehow molding it in a way where it can translate some sort of message to another person. Yeah, interesting. I think I have... Hmm. Okay, so I, I don't know if I have the same answer for art in general, but I think okay. what I believe about language is that the point of having books and like a canon of books is so that ultimately we are speaking the same language. You know what I mean? Like words no, I don't know are what you mean. <laughs> okay. Um I've never tried to I've actually never tried to um like verbalize this. So so I'm going to try. Good. That's but, why we're here. That's why we're here. But this is what I've been thinking about recently, which is that um I think the thing I've been thinking a lot about it because of like current events and how how a lot of our like political issues in this country come down to the fact that we mean different things when we say certain words. So certain words like like freedom, the right and the left mean literally mean different things for this, right? Like if you had exactly. some them write down definitions, the definitions wouldn't be the same. So to me, the purpose of books is for us to read like enough of like uh enough of like a what's the word that I'm thinking of? Um to have enough overlap where we understand each other when we talk you know where we have sort of this like agreed upon like definition terms. yeah like exactly. everyone has these same exact terms in this argument or this discussion that we're having right and so when you have like like literary phenomenons like harry potter which like you know like a billion people read and then they come to agree on these words these like these certain things you know these certain values um which i guess you know, like, yeah, um, yeah. I was trying to think of an example from Harry Potter, but I, I can't right now. So, like, Lagardia Leviosa. Um, everybody knows in that word. Everybody it means knows what that gonna... means. And also, like, when when you talk about like like Muggles, you know, and like try to relate that into like real life, like people people know what you mean. And so, I think I think to me, that's what's important about writing and about like reading. Um, right. It's to, it's to like have this assurance that that at the end of the day we ha we can understand each other because we we have this canon of words where we've agreed on the meaning. Um, yeah. And the issue in that is just that like obviously like when you go to the academic canon or like these books that every child is like forced to read is that right. It, it's like we're agreeing on this like this like dictionary of words that's been pre-selected by like predominantly like white men um, right. and and also is like outdated you know like the language has changed since the 1920s so it's not it doesn't feel as yeah it's, that's kind of no i i hear you i i absolutely hear you i mean but that kind of like brings me to a point where you're saying that first off you're saying what well, I, I agree with the whole thing that if you have the same terms everyone can communicate a little bit better that's number one number two i think what's really big though if it comes to terms then how come something like the Bible, for example, comes into play and everyone has their own set of terms when it comes to that? Is it because it's so predated, like before the 1920s and a lot of people came in, a lot of white men from back in the day decided to say this is what it's going to translate like? Mm -hmm. And how is that going to be different from kind of where the books that you're writing is different from the books in the past? 
Yeah, um, the Bible is a really good example because that's really one of those things where in in its own definition, like the the words are so important, but it's been translated so many times that we don't we don't have the same like language anymore. You know what I mean? Like, the, the yeah, exactly. Like Two thousand years ago, like there are so many words and ideas that we're missing. Um, <clears throat> And some people think that, oh my gosh, this is this is meaning that homosexuals are bad, where others say, oh, they're not talking about homosexuals in this case. And there's always that debate about what is the right term. Yeah. But then how definitely. come in these books, then we understand like the terms? Is it because Harry Potter's fiction and the Bible's supposed to be nonfiction? And so therefore in nonfiction, people can have a wide range of nuances compared to something that is totally fiction. Yeah, I think the thing with the Bible is that you have like whole like whole areas of study where people are just arguing about this, the language and the definitions of words, um, which if you I think if you need that, it's become a little too, too much. You know what I mean? Right. Like, if you need like, I think. I think oh, my um, gosh. I love that. OK, I get it. Sorry. It's like an evolution <laughs> of thought right now. The Bible is an argument between words. Whereas like something like Harry Potter is not an argument of what words mean what, it's this is what's happening within the story. Yeah, this is how the word is being used versus like, let's sit and argue about the definition. <laughs> oh my God, we're getting somewhere. This is so cool. Okay, no, that makes a lot, a lot of sense. Because right now what I'm seeing is kind of the evolution of writing is to me, like Ruby Carr, for example, or other authors, like this woman that I'm reading, uh, Big Magic. I forget her. I forget the author's name. She wrote. She wrote like Eat, Pray, Love, and yeah. uh, I haven't got your book yet. I just ordered it yesterday. Um, <laughs> there's like some rhythm to it, some beats to it, and I think mm -hmm. it's because the internet, uh, with everything moving so fast, we're so used to copywriting. We're so mm -hmm. used to like mm -hmm. headlines. And as long as we're writing kind of in that beat of headlines and in that beat of copywriting, can people slowly get into reading again? Or am I overthinking this? Or is like books its own little native platform where it doesn't really matter how the rhythm or how the beats or how the structures are presented as long as it's just like a really good story, people will be listening or reading. I don't know. That's what I've been like thinking about. Like, how do you write your books? Do you write it like in a with a rhythm, some sort of beat to fit kind of where we're at in this in this generation of Internet land? Yeah, um, I'm thinking about these books that were big in, in when I was in middle school. I don't remember what they were called, but they were all like TTYL, you know, like LOL. Like those were the titles. And those yeah. were really for a second. Those were really trendy because like, you know, we had all just gotten phones and texting. So like um it's so crazy to like like be on tiktok now and just realize that like a lot of these kids like weren't like using dial-up internet you know <laughs> which like yeah. like to a point is still like how i think about internet um it's like and you're right the landscape changes so quickly that like when you're when i'm copy editing like when i'm working with like the copy editors at harper collins like they for the most part cut out everything that is going to date the novel like like to a point, you know, because otherwise it's going to it's already going to be like a timepiece by the time it releases two years later. You know, the Lex like the like um, 
the lexicon like if you're of everything. If you're going to reference like a song or if you're going to use like a like a abbreviation, it's already going to be too old um, by the time the book comes out. So, so for the most part, we steer clear of that. Um, uh, what, what about the like rhythms? The, 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 like, how do you write? Is it is there a rhythm to it? It depends. Um, I think you'll see when, uh, if you look at calling falling into place, which is that it has a certain it it's interwoven in this way that um, made so much sense for the book. And I don't I don't have like I don't have like a writing process. Like it varies book to book. Like yeah, I'm not. That's why I didn't ask that question. Like I don't. <laughs> Like everyone like has I, their own process when it comes to things like that. How is that going to help you? I think, I think what matters is kind of the suggestions of, Hey, listen, this works for me. I write in a bathtub. Maybe you'll write in your car or under your bed sheets or uh, naked while taking a shower. Who knows what you do? That, that is your own little thing. Um, I think then it's like, what speaks to Amy? What, what makes you go, this is phenomenal writing to me? Hmm. Interesting. I think, I don't know. I can give you like a list of books that have really spoken to me. I, um, I, I said this recently to someone, but I learned how to write because as a kid, I loved rereading so much. Like, like my favorite books like I've read all of them like four to five times because like they just like felt so satisfying to me like there was something about them that and I can't tell you if there's like a pattern between like obviously like Wait, good which book Great Expectations by Charles Dickens uh no <laughs> Ella Enchanted the by Gil Carson Club. Levine like things like that you know and like the things I reread now are like A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara and like um Pachinko oh, wow. by Min Jin Lee and things that like they, they really speak to me, you know, so it there's no like pattern necessary. It's just like strong characters, good writing, like this, the same things that you would you would say about any any good book. You, you know, what's so crazy what I'm realizing right now as we're talking that I don't know, but we're thinking about the Internet dial up and so many things. But I'm also looking at TikTok a lot. If you mm-hmm. really think about it. Right. People are always saying, oh, the Internet moves so fast. People are impatient. I don't think they're impatient. I think they're just if if the thing that they're watching doesn't have a story, then they're disengaged. And I think as long as there's a story within that piece, no matter how short or how long, and it the story is very clear and understood, then you're engaged. Because I'm looking back at kind of remembering your TikTok and then other TikToks that I'm like inside my head thinking about and they all sort of like tell a story and i think what's so great about written language is that for thousands of years in the past that's the one thing that has stayed constant throughout every single different type of communication and i think that if you're a good writer aka you're a good storyteller hence why you have three books you have a publisher you have an agent you know you're getting paid for what you do I think showcases how powerful you are in creating a world where people can go, okay, this is why stories exist. And I think what's really cool is that about like your books is that they last forever. No one's, 
like the my videos or my TikTok videos or my friends' videos, they disappear over time. But I think two thousand years from now, they type up Amy Zhang and guess who guess who shows up? What do you think about that? Am <laughs> oh, I man. am I, mean, I like that's the dream, you know? Like I hope <laughs> I hope so. Like um but uh yeah, I don't know. I think I think the difference now, especially on TikTok, is that TikTok organizes everything for you. You know what I mean? You're going to see the best. You're going to see the best of the best. You're going to see the funniest TikToks because those are the ones that go viral. Um, the ones that have some kind of narrative or like a surprise element. Like, But TikTok does that for you. Like you can be on your for you page and it's like it's already curated and it's perfectly like tailored to you because they have like they, they really do have such a brilliant algorithm. Um I think books are starting to fall like out of vogue because first of all, there's so many books and um, not, it's hard to tell which ones are going to, that you're going to love, you know, and you have to like commit six to 10 hours to find out if you love it. So it's a, it's just like more of a time commitment and it doesn't have, it doesn't have that like algorithmic tailoring that we've become really accustomed to i think um so how do you get your book out there like how do you make sure people read it how do you make sure people read your book how do you make sure that you say hey my book is important honestly jonathan i'm gonna be really honest with you i totally checked out like during marketing like i'm not i i don't i'm not personally like interested in selling my books (laughs) Which well, hey, sounds- that's why that's why we're here, you know. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> don't ever apologize. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, obviously, I feel very grateful that people are reading what I wrote, and like, it sustains my career. <laughs> but um, to me, the thing that I love doing is is reading and writing. You know, it's not it's not like like selling or like marketing or like promoting. Um, those things feel like really uncomfortable to me um oh wow but but yeah I'm I mean like I in general I just feel grateful for the the chance to to get to do what I love which is just sitting around and like reading and writing so so I don't feel that's the dream (laughs) yeah I don't feel super engaged in in the selling it's something that like I don't know I, I I feel really anxious when I think of people reading what I wrote. I've never like since since my books came out, I don't think I've read them. Um so Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's so interesting to me. I even my old little blog post I like reading back, but you, you remind me kind of like Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp says he uh, makes the movie and then he never watches his books. Yeah, I, I've like read about a lot of actors who who don't watch them. Because you Wait, can't do you change want- it by then, you know? Like- yeah, because there's always some way to, like, improve it if you have to. Yeah. Have you ever walked, uh, like, on the street somewhere and then you see, like, a little kid or a woman or a man or just somebody in general sitting down and reading your book? You know what's so crazy is that it happened to me yesterday, like, for the first time in ages. Um, Wait, what happened? I, well, I, I was just walking down the street and it was in somebody's window. Uh, I took a picture with it. So, it's, <laughs> um, um, yeah, it was it. Um, I don't want to like it never happened a lot, obviously. But there when it when they when the books first started coming out, I would see them like um, I saw one once like on the subway and like, 
you know, they they would still be in stores. So I like to like go peek into bookstores and like visit them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a couple years since I've had had a book out. So so I do I like that feeling of like going to a bookstore and seeing it, you know, and like signing it and leaving it. But I don't know. I don't like Eve, you mentioned like emails earlier and I have a really hard time like responding to emails Um because I just like I don't know I don't know what to say I can't like I can't comprehend the idea of somebody reading this like book I wrote it's like it's there's some kind of like mental block there where I, I can't like properly imagine it and um it's that it's that it's that anxiety <laughs> of performance yeah yeah I guess so it's something that's so intimate and like I've never had a problem performing like I I grew up like performing as a kid so like right but i, I mean per- performing stage, i think performing as like the analysis of of looking what you've already done yeah and it's like it's this like there's nothing more intimate than writing a book you know because like in order to get like 70,000 words down you have to write a lot about yourself you know and like it's done in these like ambiguous ways so that people can't like can't like tell who you are like what you think you know but it's like I can look at that and be like, this was who I was. Like, these were the things that I was thinking. And that's so, that's so intimate. That's like this like section of my brain that's like in circulation. So I don't like, I don't know. I feel very removed from, from it's like that. It's like going on a, on a date again and you're repeating the same lines as it's another first or second or third date with this, with different people, but you're saying the exact same stories. And I think that can almost be in a way exhausting if that makes sense yeah it's not it doesn't work for like my brand of like extroversion or introversion you know it's it feels very intense to me so yeah well because you're an empath yeah yeah I feel very like susceptible to like the feelings of people around me but I do really appreciate emails where people like say something like I I felt I felt what you were feeling, you know, because that's like that's the point of it all. Like that's like right. That's like that means my words felt to me the way that they felt to you. So that's like successful communication, and like that's we like we were able to have I, those terms. They were defined well. We understood each other. Way good. Where's your power? High five back into the email. <laughs> wait. So wait. When I I don't even know what I wrote, but when I DM'd you, was that a little better than emailing you? Um. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I I, got a lot of DMs, like, at that time because of those TikToks where, like, people asked a lot of the same questions. So I, like, couldn't answer those individually, but I did, like, a, like a, like a story highlight, um, which didn't seem What made you want to talk to me? What made you want to talk to me? This is so cool. I feel like now my ego's coming in. What did I do no, to, no, like, I'm fucking with like... you? Um... I was like super happy to like be on on the podcast obviously like I love like I love talking about writing um and I'm always really grateful to have the opportunity to do that so thank you like thank you for reaching out like no you you're you're phenomenal (laughs) like I I, I've been trying my very best to do as much research as I could about you but the one thing okay I understand maybe this is not going to be like a primary thing but you know when you look in the mirror not only do you have colored hair not only you have dope glasses not only do you have a cool tattoo with like a yellow dress right now, but you are Asian. And 
does that has that changed in any way regarding your work when you're writing it but also kind of when you're in that space right now and like in this i don't know if they call it the writer's community but do you feel different not different but other sometimes does that make sense um i think my asianness affected my work very very deeply in this way that i'm just starting to understand when i was like 15 and writing for the first time actually falling into place you'll notice has like no physical descriptions at all like none of the characters are physically described in any way and i was very purposeful in doing that i was so i was so young you know what i mean and like i had Mm -hmm. not I hadn't ever lived in a place. First of all, I'd never lived in a place that was completely white like that. So I had only like very recently started thinking thinking about race and like thinking about the ways that I felt othered like at that point. Um uh within the writing community, I've really okay, I've been like thinking a lot about grad school recently because I've like really lost a writing community, I feel like. Like I right. um I really miss college, you know, where I yeah. felt um I felt so many people were doing these like like have like wanted to have fun like conversations like this, you know, like we did that yeah. all the time. And like um so I, I miss that. Sorry, what was your question? <laughs> no, I think I think I think where we're going with this is what does it mean kind of to be Asian, regardless if it's like reading or writing, but now that as you're getting older. By the way, I love how like when you're 15 years old, you purposely made sure that there was no descriptions about kind of the the ethnicities of these these characters. Um, but as we're like moving forward and we're experiencing so many things, what do you think it it means to be Asian or an Asian American woman, especially like right now? I guess. Um, yeah, I think my I think my Asian Americanness is so important to who I am, and it's so important to my like conceptualization of like America as like like a phenomenon (laughs) you know I think um I I I think hmm it's kind of tough right because I've been it's been really hard in a way where first off number one I have a lot of privilege I'm a male I'm not a black man um I'm an Asian American man that lives in Los Angeles and I can kind of struggling because I'm surrounded by like a lot of white folks in this house that I live in. And I've been noticing more when people say the words like Chinese virus or when they make fun of their bodies and it's something to do with like an Asian stereotype. Um, and I've been like kind of kind of like questioning like what is my role kind of as like an Asian American male or just an asian american in society like where do i place like today i just had an argument with my housemate who was explaining to me that uh how come with asians you guys have this mentality or not mentality but this like cultural stereotype that you are good minorities and it got me thinking like what does that what does it mean to be even like a good minority and then does that mean that i as like a good minority can be oppressed at times like is it racist for let's say for example america saying that asian american men are not sexually appealing is it weird 
to say that an Asian American woman is perceived as like a good girlfriend because she is like seen as some more submissive Docile than others. And, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, when I, I guess when I ask the question, how do you view yourself as like an Asian American right now? Like, how do you feel? What is your place? Like, what is your kind of um, role that you think you should be playing? Or if there is a role that you should be playing in our society? Yeah, um, I just read this phenomenal book. It's it's called Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong, where she talks about the phenomenon of like Asian Americanness and what that means at this moment. So I would recommend it to everyone. Um, it's so good. It's it's like so good. And she talks about like the history of the the model minority and like how that came about in America. Um, so it was also a very useful book. But I feel. <clears throat> I feel, I guess, about about being Asian in this like particular historical moment, I guess the way that I feel about it is just that I totally had a thought and then I lost it. <laughs> no, it's okay. I will give uh, you a second. This is great. Uh, what was I going to say? I, I was thinking that that's so crazy. It literally just like flew out of my mind. Um your role as being an Asian American woman. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, what I was thinking is that I think I think we lack in a lot of way in a lot of places, I think we lack the language to talk about um the ways that it hurts to be black in this country and it hurts to be like an immigrant in this country. Like I think a lot of like for a long time it wasn't appropriate to talk about that you know and I think like what's so amazing to see now is that that's changing and like we're giving platforms to people who can who can speak for themselves you know and that's a really full a really powerful thing for me to see um the other thing that I've been thinking a lot about recently is that the the reason that I had such a difficult time talking about that and I think the reason that a lot of people do is because like a, a racial trauma I think in America is is a childhood trauma you know it's like mm. it's things it's things that happen to you when you're like in first grade like with your lunchbox you know like with your like Asian lunch in the cafeteria it's like it's things that happen very very early before you have like command of a language to say like this hurt me in this way and like this is why you know and I think like I think there's so many important people, especially in children's literature right now, um, who are changing that, who who are like giving, who are like putting that language into the lexicon, which um, which is really encouraging to see, you know. Wow. You know what I was just thinking about as you're saying all this? Because you said like, you know, it's all like childhood trauma in such a way because we don't have the ability to really begin to like communicate what hurt feels like. Yeah. I think the reason why a lot of our limiting beliefs, you know, pretty much start and end at seven years old, basically meaning that by this, by the age of seven, you already feel this type of way of who you are as a person based on how, let's say your parents treat you or the environment that you're in treats you. And it's all because we don't have the language yet to really explain how we feel. And as we get older, we begin to understand all those emotions and all those feelings. And then finally, we're able to put it out into the world and say, 
hey, I am depressed, you know, yeah. and I know what depressed means. And now I'm thinking of toddlers when something sad happens and they don't know how to express themselves and they're trying to like get inside their souls and rip it apart. But instead, all they can do is scream. And again, it kind of just goes back to this, this thing that you're talking about, how it's all about at the end of the day, can we define terms? Can mm-hmm. we have yeah. the same sort of like dictionary and definition for feelings, but also for the story to work out? Yeah, exactly. Like I think um, one of the things that was so interesting to me about about GPT three about that language model was that yeah. the way it learned language was that it wrote it read everything that we've ever written. You know what I mean? One hundred and seventy five billion parameters. That's like the entire compendium of human human writing. <laughs> you know, that's everything. And so like. And so right now, as we as like YA grows more diverse, what that's doing is like putting more language out there. It's like the way that we learn language is by seeing it done. Right. Like that's the way the computer learns language. And that's also how how our neural networks learn language. So when when the when what is available becomes more diverse, the language becomes more diverse. And you can read something and be like, I recognize this experience. Like this feels familiar to me. And now I have language to talk about it. Um, So I guess that's what I see as my role in all this, you know, is just to like try to put into writing the kind of of hurt that I feel and see if anybody feels that. Wow. If you think about it, that's very touching and moving. I rarely say to someone that you're going to change the world because I don't believe kind of in that. What I, unless you're Jesus maybe, but he's a magician. Um, (laughs) David Blaine. Um, I mean, maybe like who knows how he translated that? Like it's very, it's very unclear. But I think, I think the way that you view the world in that case and finding it your role is I think powerful because so many people I feel like go through life and even even me at this moment trying to figure out not only what makes them happy, what they're good at, but what they see themselves like doing day to day without really caring about, not caring, but not really focused on the monetary gain out of it. But what you were able to do or you're able to do right now, who knows, something might change, who knows. But you're like, you know what, I'm I'm doing what I love to do every single day. And... I figured out what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm doing it. But do you think, no, now thinking about it, like, do you ever think of the future? Do you ever think, hey, maybe in five years, Amy Zhang is going to be an actress or, you know, an astronaut or something beyond just reading or beyond being a writer? Yeah, I see I say this all the time, but I really, I got my degree in philosophy and poetry, but I really wish I'd gotten it in like science, <laughs> like physics. Oh, really? <laughs> really, like, I really wish that I'd, I'd um, taken a few, like gathered more knowledge um, rather than staying in this like lane where I've been. <laughs> right. um, yeah, I mean, I. But it's 10,000 hours. I mean, outliers, like if you want yeah, to be a master, exactly. you have to be focused on one thing. So, I mean, it's good that you did philosophy and you're probably going to go back to grad school and, hey, you're learning something and you're doing something and you're becoming a master at it that if anybody wants to be enamored by you or learn from you because you know so much, you can automatically give back. 
So it's kind of a good thing that you didn't go into the scientist because look how much you're able to give. Your passion. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, I I will always be writing. I think, like, I think I was lucky enough to find something that through which I could express myself, you know, at a young enough age that it affected my life choices. You know, I think I think the thing is, like, in America, our our education system is not built to help people discover that, you know. So, um, so I wish I do. I do wish that I had um, devoted a little more time into like finding material to write about, which is like um, this thing that I feel like I I keep thinking this because like over quarantine, I was trying to read this like physics book and I had to like get other (laughs) physics books to like explain basic (laughs) physics to me so that I could read this other. Like it was like, I, I feel very aware of these like holes in my like knowledge where. Right. Um, Yeah. Um, by the way, I, I'm so glad that we found our flow, but don't worry, we're almost done. I know that you have like a time thing. Um, I'm totally free. You can <laughs> carry yeah, this. But no, this is so like when I think of you right now, when I first, you know, thought of you and I, I think about like, because I interview a lot of people and creators and sometimes I post an episode and sometimes I don't, I'm not going to lie. Like I get a little nervous and, um, believe it or not, I don't have that many, Asian American uh, women friends. Well, maybe, well, besides my three sisters, kind of like just two others, right? But even that, and it's always hard to figure out kind of when I when I meet someone, especially like an Asian American woman, trying to figure out how to bridge some sort of like connection of, of commonality. Mm-hmm. And so usually I start off with like, hey, let's talk about Asian uh, topics and things like that and maybe we can find something relatable but I think what I'm realizing about this conversation is that you love language so much and I think I'm so enamored because I love language so much so I majored actually in rhetoric mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so like philosophy and rhetoric is like really close together except yeah. for um, rhetoric makes sure that we're like in a box where philosophy yeah, is like yeah. let's go outside of the box and I'm like fuck you and you're like fuck <laughs> you um but the one thing that I've actually been thinking about through this entire conversation is that, oh, and just in general lately too, is that one thing that kind of matters maybe during quarantine or maybe during this like political thing is how do we get words to not only hurt someone, but how do we get words to kind of make someone take action on a belief that they have Mm -hmm. and i've been trying to figure out what type of words or what type of language or type of structure maybe i'm overthinking this causes action does that make sense because like some people they read a book Mm -hmm. okay like you know ray dalio's principles right Mm -hmm. you read that and it makes someone go okay i must now live in this lifestyle where I'm following these key disciplines. Mm-hmm. Or when, let's say, for example, Minecraft, you read Minecraft and you're like, you know what? I must destroy uh, you know, Jews. Am I overthinking this? Like what what is the structure that makes someone take action based on the words that they read? Yeah, I think it's just storytelling. I think we're so 
I think our like primate brains are so taken by by narrative and and by like um like this very traditional like arc of struggle and then completion like I think one of the things that that really radicalized me was reading Citizen by Claudia Rankine you know where she really like put those feel like she told all these stories you know in this way that was so so moving in language that was so beautiful and like like so so beautiful and so terrible and um I think the way that we we communicate best is just by storytelling okay you keep on saying this one thing right so you're talking about you know the parameters and they write phenomenally and then this person who wrote citizen writes beautifully so what does it mean like what does in your case because everyone's you know different but what does a good story look like and what is phenomenal and beautiful writing yeah um like what does that what does that even look like to you I don't know. I can give you examples of what I think it looks like. I don't know. Yeah. What's an I think, example? Like, I think, well, okay. So I really think that one of the things that all public schools should teach is Kendrick Lamar's Damn, right? Like as an album. What? I okay, think like, oh my God, are you kidding? It's Pulitzer winning. It's like, it's current. It's, that's how we're using language now is, is the way that, is the way that Kendrick's doing it. And he uses it so beautifully. And so like, and it's relevant, you know what I mean? It's like the point of like reading now is so that we can communicate with each other, so that we use words in the right way, so that we don't mean different things when we say like freedom and like liberty, you know? Like it's Right, exactly. So like I, I really think we should be reading things that are relevant, I think. Like I Wait, don't know. Damn why. is poker like explain the what? The can you I have to reread that. I have to re-listen to that album. Yeah. I'm, why do I'm, you think that let me well, let me look it up, but I'm pretty sure it won the Pulitzer a few years ago. It's like a beautiful it album. It's a beautiful album. I don't it must have won for poetry. Um Wow. Be humble. Yeah, yeah right? Like <laughs> Yeah, it won in it won for music in twenty eighteen. Damn. So it's like one of those things where it's like it doesn't it's not it doesn't make sense anymore for us to read like Catcher in the Rye. You know, it's not it's not relevant anymore to like um, tell the story of like this. Oh, yeah. when you're thinking about beautiful and phenomenal writing, you're thinking, let's write something that's current, that makes sense now that we can all understand. Where the terms make sense in this moment, is that what you mean? Yeah, and also I think that, like, for a long time we've had a very narrow definition of um, relatable experience or, like, necessary experience, and that's why we read the the canon of books that we read in, like, AP Lit or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think what we're But everything is nuanced. Everything is different now. Yeah, yeah. I think, like, I think what we're doing now is expanding ex expanding those horizons. So the things that are are beautiful and are phenomenal include things that aren't just written by white men and judged by white men so that it can obviously different kinds of writing will you'll react to it differently based on based on your lived experience you know so so i think that's the work that we're doing now is expanding those horizons 
Oh my God, it's beautiful. I want to end soon. That I, I, I was thought to me it was like Jonathan, just end right there because that's like a really good like <laughs> book to end at, and I should. But when you were saying that, it kind of reminds me of all those books where the main character is sort of like this young white male or young white female who was dealing with all these like adolescent, you know, tropes. Mm -hmm. And over and over and over again, we see that. And as much as they're like really good books, like The Fault in Our Stars, which is like one of my favorite books of all time, or the, you know, perks of being, you know, Wolf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think right now, I think more than yeah. ever, we just need a main character who isn't, who doesn't follow that trope. And and as you said, is this new book that you're writing or that's coming out more like that in that vein? Um, I mean, it's about it's about a Chinese American girl. You know, it's like it's a lot of my own experience and the things that um, I've felt and tried to put into words. Uh, but I think in general, like the thing, the thing that we have to, the thing that we really have to recognize in, in the landscape of literature is that for the most part, we have sources to help us understand how white people feel. You know what I mean? Like yeah. those are already there. And so the things that we need to work on expanding is not that anymore. <laughs> it's like... It's like I, I was thinking when you were talking about the faults in our stars is that there's such a there's such a obvious like um, with John Green, it's so obvious as to how he was inspired by David Foster Wallace and how David Foster Wallace is inspired by like Monty Python, you know, the writers of which are predominantly white men. And like the way that we make language is also extremely derivative of each other, you know, so like when only white people are writing then like the things that come out of that are still centered on on the majority experience which um isn't i don't think is what we want anymore oh, perfect that's that's beautiful i i am what's that word when like well, first off my this is very exhausting for me because it's zoom so, but I, I absolutely adore you. Uh, the, the, whoa, the word is ineffable, where basically um, I have no more words, but that affected me in such like a, a, a major way. So thank you for that. Yeah, um, thank you so much for this conversation. It was really great to talk about these things. And, like, no, language. it's really good. That, no, it's so good to like bridge that out. Um, where can people find you, Amy? And, you know, when does your book officially come out? And um, all that good stuff. Anything that you want to? Oh yeah, to I don't have a release date. Yeah, I don't have a release date yet. Um, it's still with my editor, so I don't know. I would guess probably twenty twenty two, twenty one. If things are fast, probably twenty twenty two. At this, how, how do this, how do people find you? I'm on Instagram um, sometimes, and I'm on TikTok sometimes. I go through phases where I delete both, but. I'm I know, me too. I delete them all the time because I don't know. Wait, do you I have know. a website like Amy's Zang Zang? Oh, I do. Book? I totally do. I have a website. Um, it's amyzangbook.com. Wait. Um, Wait, do you have – let me check this out. Do you even have uh, like an email list? You should have an email list. Amy. Yeah, Zang I know. It's very – it's silly because like I – it's amyzangbooks.com. But I, right. I've i been very – I've been dragging my feet about uh, 
<laughs> setting things up. Um, oh but my yes, God. Okay, will... forget the blog post, Amy. In your landing page, all you have to do is do a MailChimp and have your little, like, hey, you get announcements when I have my new book. Yeah, and that's maybe hashtag exclusive things. Dude, you have no idea. Okay, so I know you don't really care about money and all that great stuff. But as a marketer, as someone that helps <laughs> companies push out their products online, an email mm-hmm. list will change your life. Okay, I'll definitely set that up. Yeah. Right. Oh I my know, god, you know I what you could do? do it. <laughs> oh my god, you know what you could do? Okay, this is what you could do. Okay. Can I just can I just like spiel for a second the market? Yeah, tell okay. me. So sorry, 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 sorry. I know this is so stupid and weird and nerdy, but whatever. No, no, not at all. I'm very curious. Okay, so imagine this, dude. Imagine this. Imagine this. They go on your site, Amy Zhang, right? Books.com, because they were on your TikTok or like your um, your Instagram. And then you have like, you know, your pictures, whatever that you have. And these are the books, of course, about. And there's the email list. And you're like, hey, sign up for the email list because you're going to get exclusive content and you'll know when my next book comes out, right? And then maybe you do like a winky face or whatever your personality is. Then you push it out there. Boom, they sign up and they get an automated welcome message that you make for them. So from now on, no longer do you have to worry about writing an email. You just have to worry about only that one special automated email message. And then whenever you fucking feel like it, maybe it's like every four months or every six months or whatever, you decide, you know what, I'm going to write an email to my fans. Now what's really great is if you continue TikTok and you continue Instagram where you start growing, and let's say you get like, 500 or a thousand people that sign up on this email list you know what you can do when you when your book gets published you take those emails and you go to facebook and facebook if you do a lookalike audience so facebook is very gross with data long story short you could do a lookalike audience and facebook will find people that look exactly like the people that love your writing and promote your book to them yeah Oh, shit. Oh <laughs> That's so crazy. You know, I actually had to take down my Facebook author page because I got mistaken for this other woman who wrote uh, like an anti-Trump book and I got all these like hate messages. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's, that's, that means it's time to delete my Facebook. But <laughs> you're right. They have a lot of great tools. <laughs> oh my God. You could do that. Let yeah, me know. Yeah. I want to help. Totally I'll do it for free. That. I'll do it for free. I swear to God. I have a lot of creators. I'll do it for free. I want you to, you have no idea. I'm going to end with this, but fuck. Okay. So this is very weird. This is very strange, but this is, this is how I perceive you to be. Okay. In a, in a positive way. Okay. I tell some people that, Hey, you're a star. You're a star. You're a star. You're a star. But how I say it is you're like, okay, this is so weird. You're like the unpopular popular individual as in what do I, what do I mean by that? is that when someone looks at you, they don't automatically think, hey, this person is a leader. Based on how our society works, I was having a conversation with my friend and it was like, why do some people, they're viewed as like an alpha male, even though, for example, I'm the CEO of my own company. And I said, because society has this trope, this vision, this perfect avatar, that allows this person, because of the way they look, to become that leader and that alpha male. And because they're already put into that position, they're able to practice becoming a leader. And so therefore, they end up becoming a leader, right? And so Mm -hmm. people, like I'm going to put myself in that little box, people like myself and some others, and maybe even you, where society goes, they're not leaders, they're short or they're Asian or they wear glasses or they they don't have that 
aura automatically. And so we have to do things differently. But what's so great is we live in this time right now, Amy. We live in this time where talent and experimentation can outbeat anyone out there whose society says you are a leader. And so we have a chance now, if that makes sense. It's still not as great as like these people, but it's like enough. And so when I look at you and I look at your profile, and the reason why I was so like propelled to like just message you and be like, you're the fucking shit, was because when I was, you know, watching your TikTok or looking at your Instagram, well, basically it's a TikTok, you can feel, number one, that passion that you have for what you do, that empathy that you have for others, but more importantly, you're like the underdog, the true underdog, <laughs> the unpopular, popular one, that no one's there to sympathize with you, but they're knowing that, hey, listen, I can rely on Amy to do what I need her to do for me, but guess what? Now Amy is relying on herself to do what she needs to do. And I think that's what's so beautiful. <laughs> well, Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. That's really sweet. Yeah, I think like yeah. I think that's um something that would resonate with a lot of like I think that's something that'll resonate with a lot of people. <laughs> like, definitely. I don't know. All right, Amy. Amyzangbooks.com, everyone. Uh check out her Instagram. Hopefully all the links are there. If she's I know she maybe it's there on her website. It is. I just checked. <laughs> Follow her on Instagram, TikTok, all of I'll those great things. <laughs> Put it in the description. Yeah. And uh, guys, you can follow me also on Do Good Jonathan. And so now what's going to happen is I'm going to press stop on Zencaster so you no longer hear me. And then we just wave. Bye, Amy. Okay, great. Thanks so much, Jonathan. That was really <laughs> Thank great. Thank you, Amy. It'll be out next Thursday. Not this Thursday, but next Thursday. Okay, sounds good. Bye. Bye.